All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another uh, episode of our Fair Game podcast, Scientology Fair Game. Mikey, hello. Hi, Lily. How are you? Hi. I'm good. Thank you. All right. Today we have a special guest. We do indeed. Today we're really happy to to welcome a special guest, uh, Jeff Levin, who in fact did the music for our podcast and yes. has been a sci- or was a Scientologist for more than forty years and has quite some stories to tell. Hi, Jeff. Welcome. Hi, Mike. Hi, Leah. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for doing this, and thank you for our wonderful music. Oh, my pleasure. I wanted you to have something that was yours. Well, it was really, really gracious of you to do so. Thank you so very much. My pleasure. Yes. All right. Yeah, so we, you, we like being yeah. unique. Yes, we do, and having our own <laughs> thing. <laughs> All right. So, Jeff, why don't you tell us your story? Uh, you were a Scientologist, like Mike said, for... 43 years, you were a dedicated and loyal Scientologist. And yep. uh, why don't you, why don't you, we're going to let you take it away. Oh, okay. Um, I'll try to be brief because it really started in 1963. Yeah. Which is even, you know, earlier. Yeah. Um, quickly, I was turned on to Scientology and pot at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, those two, start. those two don't really go together, which is interesting. Uh, yeah, they do. Yeah. Uh, uh, the pot won. Uh, thank God. <laughs> well, it won for, for about five years. Uh-huh. And then in 1968, I was introduced to Scientology again. Um, one of our band members saw a bumper sticker. So they, they, what that's the bum- how they were. What the bumper sticker say? Said, find out about Scientology and then a phone number. Wow, that really worked. Okay. It, it did for I thought. For it, I thought, Jeff, I thought you were going to tell me something interesting. Like it said something that you were like, yes, yes, I'd like, find out about Scientology. I mean, Get a no, natural it, high. It, it, <laughs> Get it a natural pretty, high. Pretty straightforward. Find out how. <laughs> Here, here's the, I don't know what you'd call it, a caveat? Yeah. Or, or an addition. Okay. When I got turned on to Scientology, they gave me a book, and um, which was not an LRH book, not a, not a Hubbard book. Sure. It was written by uh, somebody else. And they taught me how to give an assist an assist is something when you get injured, you you do a certain procedure. Right. And and I embraced that, and they told me that I was immortal. Mm-hmm. And when they told me that, and they gave the, the term, yeah, which I never heard of, which was called a thetan, which me an immortal being in right. Scientology. Uh-huh. I embraced that. So that became my new philosophy. I sat with it for five years. And when I found out there was a mission or a center in Santa Clara, I was primed to go there. Right, right. So you, so, so, so you, so you at this point in your, you, you have a band. Yeah, right? oh yeah. Okay, and your whole band gets into Scientology? What was the name no, of the band? The name of the band was People... 
where you can find us on YouTube. Just put people rock band in, and we're all over the place. Okay. The 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 irony is we were having a hit record, and Scientology came along. Right. In in about February 1968, our record was starting to go on the charts. Right. And uh, our band had worked very hard for three years to become a really tight performance band. And then we started recording, and we signed with Capitol Records. Wow. So it wasn't anything small. Right, yeah. So you and, guys were, were really primed to be to have success with your hard work, but I'm sure Scientology made themselves responsible for the success of your band. Uh, we Well, I went down uh, to the center, uh -huh. signed up immediately. I was probably the easiest sell right. you're ever going to find. Because I was the leader of the band, um, I think that that helped push three, other, three of the other members of the band. They, they went in with me. Right. I think they thought the lecture that they got made sense, and then I was gung-ho. And so between that, the four of us signed up for the first course. Which was a communications course or something? Right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, the communications course, te teaching you how to communicate. Right. And I was pretty young, like 23, and I was basically running the band, including finances and and taking care of everything. Uh -huh. And uh, I was a little bit stressed. So I thought, okay, this might be the answer to helping me get better at right. communicating. And so I jumped right into it. Sure. And within probably two weeks, I was a dedicated zealot. Mm-hmm. It, it, it took all of two weeks, and I embraced uh, the for one of the first things they teach you if you jump right into it and you're doing things in Scientology is about who you can be connected to and who you can't be connected to. Right, right. So right away, I thought I was smarter than all the psychiatrists and psychologists in the United States, because I learned about uh, emotions, and I learned uh, how to spot dangerous people. Right. How, how to, to ferret them out right away. And um, so my first uh, encounter with disconnection happened within about a month. Who was that that you had to disconnect from? One of our band members. Uh -huh. And that was because so, he was... Because he, I had determined, and the people at the mission had helped me determine this, that he was a suppressive person. In other words, an, an enemy, An enemy, yes. An antisocial personality, uh, could be very dangerous to me, and, and to the band. So, I threw any sanity to the wind, any logic to the wind, and we started targeting him. Now, we're having this hit record at the same time, and there's no way we could find a replacement for him. He was a very unique singer. And plus, we were going to go on tour with The Who. Wow. 
Wow. So, and did, honestly, and did you tell him that the reason why he was getting kicked out of the band was because of his antisocial? Uh, well, traits? no, because he was telling the truth about Scientology. He never. He wasn't. He just didn't want to join. Oh, so it wasn't even that he was doing anything. He just, he just didn't want to join, and he got kicked out. Gotcha. Well, he he fit all the personality <clears throat> traits of an antisocial person. So per, per Scientology, yeah. Per Scientology, and yeah. and he he kind of in Scientology they have a term for passive aggressives, and he I didn't know what passive aggressive was until recently, honestly. Yeah. He was that kind of a person. Extremely talented, though. Uh-huh. And so he's, he uh, was an integral part of our band. If we kicked him out, we just basically screwed ourselves. Right. And I didn't care. Right. And, and my brother, who is part of the band, he didn't care either. We both targeted, and his name was Larry Norman. Right. Um, and he went on to be a very famous Christian rock songwriter. Okay. I mean, super famous. They call him the godfather of Christian rock. That's how famous he was. Right. And, uh, anyway, so we, uh, we, we were really brutal. Um, he didn't want to join and the other lead singer didn't want to join. They were both Christian. They never foisted their Christianity on us. Right. However, we started trying to foist it on them. Right. And I, I feel like it's an extreme case of being a, a, an instant zealot and the extreme that Scientology will go to to stomp on anyone who might prevent me. Right. from continuing. Sure. By the way, Jeff, have you uh, reached out to him subsequently? Oh, Larry? Yeah. I I did, I'm not going to get into it, but I, I did an amends in around 19, 1998. I decided to do an amends. Meaning, for try to, the, to try to make up to him for what you did, for to to him to the other band members. Yeah, and I uh, I brought them together for a reunion and apologized. Yeah, to them. Um, I was still in Scientology, and it kind of um, dovetails with something I was doing in Scientology. Uh, I felt really bad about it. Yeah, and I the interesting thing though is I never connected that getting into Scientology basically destroyed my career. Right. So uh, it's a cautionary tale to any any creative people, uh, to me especially, that if you embrace Scientology and you embrace the uh, part of it where they. They actually target people that are enemies of Scientology or could prevent you from moving on. Right. Uh, you're, it's going to mess up your life really quickly. Right. Which it did to me. Yeah. Understood. 
we can all have probably tell a story about how we've destroyed relationships and you know familial obviously uh cut mothers off fathers off brothers off sisters off and and careers and uh did not uh live up to our potential because you know scientology was saying uh this group is connected to this and this site company and that meanwhile uh some of the biggest whales in scientology are uh what's that guy's name like um who sells the drug? Uh, Bob Duggan. Yeah, Bob Duggan. What, yeah. What does he sell? What is his uh, big money? Well, he, he, he invented a, a drug that was uh, it actually for can- a form of cancer, but it was bought by um, a huge international big pharma conglomerate, which is where he made his money from. So he effectively got his money or the the right. vast majority of his billions from big pharma but right, scientology doesn't mind no-no. taking his money exactly i mean but they have made people quit their jobs and do incredible things just because they have a friend of a friend who might work at eli Lilly. right or there's some connection exactly. to big pharma yeah it's really insane anyway sorry jeff go ahead no no that's okay um and, well along with that um when that happened and I embraced this whole concept that I was a victim to these allegedly evil people. Yeah. Uh, I also targeted my mother because <laughs> they wow. questioned what we were doing. Right. So, so I was really on a rampage uh, pretty quickly. I, I didn't really think about it. I think, um, in retrospect, I feel that Scientology represented the family I didn't, I didn't have a close family. I didn't, right. personally. My parents were great. They, I mean, they, they were good, but they didn't, we weren't close. Right. So, so I jumped into Scientology, and then pretty much everything they said, they were my mentors. So I just followed through on what Hubbard said. You you mean they? When you say they, you mean Scientology? Yeah, or the, in in particular the auditors and mission holder, uh, the Scientology mission or center. They they became okay. my new mentors. So when they said, I said I kind of I decided, well I can't work with Larry Norman anymore in the band because he's going to undermine us. So, and they agreed. They said yes, and they showed me specific things that Hubbard wrote that reaffirmed that and reinforced it. Got right. it. Yeah, makes Got sense. I, I just wanted to move on to sort of the next chapter of your your story here because I know your story fairly well. Yes, I you know do. that you're... <laughs> producing a movie about this and or a documentary I should say about this and and I uh, was interviewed for the documentary and you have you have some very interesting parts of your story and life that I th- that I want to make sure we get to touch on sure. one of which is that you were sort of in on the ground floor of the creation of the celebrity center and 
you know, this is something that comes up often and we get asked about often and people are curious about this, this sort of odd, uh, part of Scientology, which is the focus on celebrities. Yeah. And you, you and your brother Robbie were, were there right at the outset of the formation of celebrity center, right? We was uh, we were actually talking with the ED or of Celebrity Center before she even founded it, because we were friends with Yvonne Gillum, right? And and she was basically the founder of Celebrity Center, and we were friends. So we were talking about, wouldn't it be great if you could work with more creative people like us? And this was I don't know months before the actual uh, orders were given for Yvonne to create Celebrity Center. But we were there egging her on and, uh, and supporting her in doing that. And, and did you, you, at some point, I saw something that said that you joined the Sea Org at that point. Were you like an honorary Sea Org people or what? No, I think we have the distinction of being the only rock band to join as a group we joined the whole group joined uh the sea org under under yvonne at celebrity center and we did our our training our uh, nautical training they had ships at san pedro and we all trained on those ships and then our our orders were to go out and continue performing and then get names for people who might be interested in Scientology after the gigs. Oh, so you, so you guys became a rock band slash, uh, recruitment tool. Uh, yeah, not, yeah. Recruitment or proselytizing, getting, getting new names for Scientology. And when we first got into it, man, we were we were proselytizing to anybody and everybody. I mean, I would be on the plane with some other rock person, you know, because we we're going to the same place, and I'd tell them about Scientology. And did you get anybody in? Not any, not any celebrities, not any major rock people. But uh, I, other science, uh, you, did you make a Scientologist? Did you make Scientologists? Oh, we we boomed the we boomed the mission. Wow! And are those we, people still there? Do you know the people that you got in? Are they still dedicated uh, and loyal? Most of them are. Most of them are out now or oh, dead. Good. Well, that's I mean, good. So uh, there's. <laughs> I think. Now? I know. <laughs> uh, I, I I just lost a friend who was still in. And I was really sad about that. Of course, Jeff, of course. I was really, it, it was hard on me because he was a brilliant guy and he actually helped, uh, I got him in and then he helped uh, Hubbard to update and restore all of Hubbard's recordings. Uh-huh. So... I, I, I still keep, keep feeling that I've got some karma to make up for <laughs> the amount of things I did to uh, directly or indirectly help Scientology. 
Well, yeah, we, yeah that's, we, all we, we, that. all, we all feel that way. And that's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why you're doing what you're doing, right? I mean, well, both of you have been inspirational to me to keep going, you, you know, in terms of uh, it was tough getting out for me. Of course. It's look, like you said, these people were, became your parents, they became your best friend, they became your family. And if you if you do any work in the field of, of trauma-based work and therapies, I mean, this is what they talk about, that you usually, um, you know, have a lot of love for your abusers and your, it, it creates a bond there that's not easy to break. And although they were hurtful to you and you hurt others because you were hurt, um, there's still a bond there. Right there's trauma created, but there's also a bond created through that trauma, and it is hard to to step away from, and it is hard to recover from. Well, yeah, in my particular case, it was really severe, but that's later. I mean, that's later in the story. Well, why don't um, we? So you become a dedicated Scientologist, uh, for, like Mike said, for over forty years, forty three right. years. You were a dedicated and loyal Scientologist. Helping Scientology to, uh, you you were recruiting as we all were, but uh, it sounds like you were more successful than I was. I clearly didn't set a good example to make any real Scientologist. Oh no, you're laughing at Mike. Neither were you. <laughs> I, I never got. I never got a single person into Scientology in my entire life. Failures. We are failures well, as Scientology. Would. <laughs> Well, I, I do use. have to say this is yeah. an interesting an interesting point. Is we started in 1968, carrying into 1969. Um, I was adamant that I wanted to do the higher levels of Scientology. Right. So I went clear in 1968. Uh huh. And the interesting thing is I did that, and then I did levels that go above that, um, that get into some serious science fiction, which yeah. you guys have probably talked about, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the end result of that was I fell into a deep depression after doing the big, OT3? what they call o OT3. Uh-huh. And it never really got sorted out. Right. Well, did they keep trying to tell you it'll get better with the next OT level? Yes. And it'll, all your questions will be answered? Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, that, that's exactly what, what I thought. Right. And, um, and it, 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 I never connected it with what I was doing. Right. Because I trusted them. And so... For me, it, it, up until I had my huge um, kind of breakdown, and that was years later, um, I thought that it was the next thing over the hill. It was always just one more rise, right, and you're right. going to make it. Right, right. Well, that's the, the carrot that Mike talks about, you know, that and that we've all had that, you know, where we were like, maybe it'll get better. I mean, I was, when I did OT3, I was like, this is insane. And, you know, my, my supervisor told me, you don't need to believe it. Like it's your, just look at the meter, right? The meter doesn't lie and you don't need right. to believe it. 
So that that kind of keeps some of us in, like, okay, good, because if I have to believe this, I mean, I'll keep doing it, but uh, I don't have to believe <laughs> it. Uh, maybe it'll yeah. get uncrazy later. You know what I mean? But <laughs> right. to find out yeah. there's no, you know, and, 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 and basically what we're talking about is in, I forget if it's OT3 or I, I don't know where you learn about, you know, your body is made up of, of body thetans and other, other beings and your thoughts are not your own. And, you know, you no longer exist as a thetan, as a spiritual being. But my point is, is that you're creating literally a person who is creating another universe for themselves and it's, it's creates psychosis. I mean, it is, I, I, I'm not a therapist, but to tell people that your own thoughts are not your thoughts and it is mm. the other being's thoughts and you're talking to entities. And then when you get to OT5, you're ta- you're pretending you're, you know, talking to a being that is being cancer. That's being this, that's being yeah. that. And you know, you you believe that you are curing yourself once you free this being, and they have the realization that they're not any of those things, and then they go off and you blow these entities. You know, it's just absolutely insane. But you want to believe it, right? You go, I, you you I want to believe. Yes. Let me just say that yeah. I I I started doing uh, well. I did. Uh, OT3 in 1969, which starts the route to becoming a major victim, where you're a victim of all these little um, entities, stickets. You know, if you if you had a big board and you were putting stickets up, yeah, the little, yeah, it's like that. You, uh, I believed it a hundred percent. Sure, and not everybody I know did. I did. Right, and from that point on, it was just a constant. I was being victimized one way or another. By these entities, yeah, by, yes. And, and I think it, it, it does tend to breed victims because you're always the effect of something in this particular case as you, you get deeper and deeper into Scientology, you become more of a victim because right. there's more and more of them to deal with, and then it becomes mind-boggling. It's as if I had my uh, board, whiteboard, and I was putting stickets, stickets up it, on it. Right. And um, but you're not talking like twenty, thirty. You're talking ten thousand. Right. Right. I'm trying to give a, a, a visual sense of just how crazy it is. Right. But so. we stayed in it, and you stayed in it for forty years. And so what was the what was the beginning of the end that allowed you to start looking and start to see the truth? Um because I'm sure it was a series of things. I'm not I'm sure it wasn't one thing. People ask us that all the time. You know, it's never the one thing, right? Well, in, in this particular case, um it was uh and this was in 2008. Uh-huh. It was a series of, of um, unusual events. Okay. Uh, but uh, the first first one, I think, was getting thrown in jail. Uh, I, I somehow, because I was feeling more and more 
guilty about not being a good Scientologist. Mm -hmm. I actually started believing that I was somehow a little bit criminal for, I was a, you know, just not a good Scientologist and I was starting to beat myself up. Okay. And then, um, I just somehow manipulated everything because I believe that we do tend to, uh, create our own situations. I got arrested at the airport for trying to smuggle a, uh, dagger onto the plane. Why were you doing that? I wasn't. I, it oh. was, it, what it was, was I was somewhat of a, at that time, a prepper survivalist. Okay. And I had a plastic hairbrush that had a removable handle and it was sharp at the end. Okay. And so I wasn't thinking about it. I, and it was plastic and I didn't think it, I didn't think it would show up on the x-rays, you know, when they, cause I had a bag and I threw it in a bag. I was going to Vegas for the NAB uh-huh. National Association of Broadcasters. Okay. And, and so I was jumping on the, on the plane and I was rushing cause I was really late and I didn't pay attention and it showed up on the x-ray, and the next thing you know, I stuck my foot in my mouth and said everything I could wrong. And the next thing I know, I'm handcuffed, and the Burbank police are taking me to jail. Okay. Then what happened? Uh, well, I got out, uh-huh. and um, and I, I had a great lawyer, and... Uh, I I got away with community service, but by that time I was believing that I had really let down Scientology because I'd gotten arrested. That's right. like a huge, huge PR problem. If if anybody found out I'd I'd actually been arrested, and maybe even branded you know quasi terrorist, uh-huh. and so. I had to go in and do um, into what ethics, their kind of, uh, well, you could divine it better the, and see somebody about the things I had done that were bad. And, uh, and it just seemed like it got worse and worse mm-hmm. in terms of, I, I really started to feel depressed. Mm-hmm. And they weren't bringing me out of it. In other words, Scientology wasn't helping. Right. And so, um, by the end of 1968, I had had a really bad experience with the mediation through another arm of Scientology. 2008, you mean, Jeff? I'm sorry. What did I say? You said 68. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, in 2008, I had... Um, been trying to sort out a business situation that was really almost criminal where another person had taken me for a great deal of money. Yeah. And then the uh, Scientology, or the they call it uh, World Institute of Scientology Enterprises, which is 
the secular business section of Scientology, Uh they had found against me. Right. And they had also, in doing that, they had violated much of what Hubbard had written about how you deal with disagreements and business disagreements. So I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around that, that they were actually violating what Hubbard was saying. Mm-hmm. And so that, a really bad divorce, and um, I just fell, in at the end of 68, I was, oh, and then they had uh, pushed me to become another status, donation more, more status. More money, right, right, for, right. Just yeah. for money. right. And I and I had gone to f- flag the Florida Mecca of Scientology to get help, and they ended up. I ended up seeing somebody who was going to help me, and instead of helping me, they te- two of them teamed up on me to try to get money out of me, and they got ten thousand dollars that I didn't have. So I donated on my credit card, Mm -hmm. and then they kicked me off the base. They kicked me out of there. They said, we can't help you. Right, right. (laughs) And so I'm coming home now $10,000 more in debt. Right. And your your church can't help you. And and they said, no, we can't help you. You have to go home. They can help you in L.A., but we can't do anything for you. Right. So So how long did this go on for, this this? You know, you you described it yourself as you were in a major depression. Yes. Like, how, how long did it go on for, and what brought you out of it in the end? Uh, what, it went on for, my depression went on for three solid years. No let wow. up. And every day, I wanted to commit suicide. Wow. Uh, now, I was, Scientology... In LA, was trying to help me. They were bringing me in to give give their therapy, but their therapy was what you were talking about, Leah. Yeah. It was to find more the the, the the being who was depressed and suicidal. Well, but they they were going to find these beings that were stuck to me that were that's, causing it. That's what I'm saying. That that that's yeah, what yeah. it is. Yeah, that's what it is. You find the other being that's not you. That's feeling these things. Yes. That's really the cause of this. So it's not you, Jeff, that's depressed. It's this other being that is making you believe that you're depressed. So we need to spot it. We need to find that entity. It's literally like, just to give everybody a visual at home, it's literally, look, you have to sit there and go, you have to like think, where is this being, this spiritual being in my body? And you have to talk to it. You literally yes. have to talk to it, locate it. Where is it? Well, it might be in my head because I'm thinking it in my head. So maybe it's in my, is it outside your head? Making yes, you think exactly. that you are thinking that. And you're, that's the therapy of Scientology, guys. That And by the way, this is not free. Oh. So they tell you that you have entities that your body is composed of, that your thoughts are composed of, and they they are the only people on the planet who can get rid of these entities, cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to get there, 
And if you are depressed, like Jeff is saying, if you are sick, your body's sick, a part of they will then locate the entity that's sick or causing your body to be sick. And once that's found, poof, you should, you no should depression, get no, yes, no more you should get better. lung cancer, no more whatever the ailment is. Let me just yeah. add to this please, also, Leah please. Yeah, go ahead. and Jeff. The, the fact that you do not get better is always your fault. Right. It is always that you have failed mm-hmm. to discover the real cause of your situation, depression, illness, whatever, because you're not trying hard enough or you haven't uh, persisted enough or you haven't done the right the thing, the way that L. Ron Hubbard says it must be done, or you haven't paid enough money, or you like there's always a reason, and it's you. You have failed to properly apply Scientology, and that's why this has not yet resolved. So just give us some more money, and we will do some more Scientology on you, and then it will resolve. And this is what happens, and, and uh, this is a microcosm of one situation of someone who is depressed, but there is, you know, many other people who have been in similar circumstances or have a different problem or issue that they are trying to address, and the same thing always applies. Mm-hmm. It's, you have to do more Scientology. And the only reason that you haven't yet solved the problem and gotten better is you haven't yet done enough Scientology or you're doing the Scientology wrong, so you need to keep going until you do it right. Let me interject one point, because that when I was in Florida and they kicked me out, they gave me a program because I, w- th- I was doing things... You know, at the time, I was desperate to get money, and and you know, you 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 fudge on your taxes, or you do something a little bit unethical with somebody else, business wise. So they, I had a whole list of things I had to do, but it was all things that could jeopardize them, right? Things <laughs> that would cause a problem for them, right? And and so I was feeling like exactly like what Mike said. I was like, I was starting to feel like, well, I hit depression because I felt like I was a useless piece of shit. Right. If I can say that word, because I'll say it again. Useless piece of doo-doo. <laughs> um, and and that, was, that was really the crux of the, of the depression. And I would go in to get therapy or to get uh, what they call the auditing. Yeah. And to try to locate this stuff, and by the time, by the middle of 2009, yeah, 2009, after getting more of that, I said, I can't do this anymore. Because what was happening, and I I was getting more and more depressed and literally insane. And so I had to stop that, and at that point, they, they were scared. They were, I th- this is my opinion, that they yeah. were scared because I never said once, I feel like I need to commit suicide. Right. I never told them that because I knew, whoops, if I said that once, I was out of there. Right. 
That's how I felt. So I never said it, but I know they saw that I was, it could be dangerous. I could harm myself. And, and you would think that as a church running around saying that they're the leaders of mental health, uh, that they would want to help people who were here at this place that you are in your life. But they don't know how to deal with it because they create this in people, they create it, and they don't know how to deal with what they've created. No, they, they in my opinion, uh, they were extremely helpful in driving me crazy. Sure. And uh, at that point, the only thing I could get was just, they, had to, they were trying to make me eat, because at that point, by the end of 2008, I'd lost 40 pounds, right. at least. Right. And I looked like a skeleton. Right. And so they were seeing the issues that might come up. And because I was well-known in Scientology, because I performed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, musical performances for their events, most people know who I am. Right. And, and I felt like, okay, if I knock myself off, this isn't going to look good for them at all. Well, they and would have I, made up. They would have made up something that would have been well, acceptable truth, right? That wasn't that wasn't the truth, but just to protect themselves and their PR. Well, exactly. Yeah. But they did put a little effort into trying to keep me alive and, by having uh, you eat. <laughs> well, no, by having uh, what they call volunteer ministers look after me. Uh-huh. Check in on me every day. Right. And so that that went on for three years, and I wasn't getting any better. And then finally, I didn't care. I, I didn't give a shit about it anymore. I didn't care about myself. I didn't care what they thought. I finally was at a point where, because understand, most of the time I was depressed— I was so concerned about how it would look for to them. Scientology. Yeah, that, that was sense. my biggest concern, and sure. and for me to cause a a bad public relations situation for them was horrible. Yeah. I was like, "Oh my God, I I can't do this." Right. So, uh, but I was just uh, haunted by uh, wanting the thought of suicide every day. So what happened is when I got to the very, as close to the bottom as you could get without actually doing it, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't care. And then one day, because I was also agoraphobic and bedridden, I couldn't drive anymore. Right. Uh, I couldn't do anything, but I could watch uh, the news on the internet. And one oh, day boy, something that, came up. That's not a up. good thing for Scientology, I could tell you that. Well, I think, it, I, I honestly think it was an article about you. And I had known you, not, not well, but yeah. we'd seen each other, said hello in, at Celebrity Center. And the article was by this journalist, Tony Ortega. Mm -hmm. And because I knew about Mike Rinder's blog by that time, but I would never go on it because he was a, a he was an Devil. SP. Yes. He, well, he, he was an, a suppressive person. Jeff, he still is. 
Oh, I know. Okay. Proudly. That's why I, that's By the why way. I try no, to help them whenever. Bonafide yes. asshole. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. I, <laughs> it's been confirmed. Well, I confirmed it too. Because I've been, I've, been, I've been talking to him. Good. Then you get it. Then you get it. Yes, I do. <laughs> but anyway, so I read this article. I knew it was forbidden. Yeah. And I actually told one of my caregivers, who yeah. was a Scientologist, that I had looked at this article from this journalist. It wasn't Mike Rinder, because if it had been Mike Rinder, they probably would have wrestled me to the floor and right. put me in a put me in a straitjacket. Right. <laughs> but it was uh, Tony Ortega, the journalist who's who's written countless articles on Scientology, and it made sense. That's the problem. Right. And so I started following him, and after about two months, and this was the end of 2011. Yeah. Uh, I woke up one day, and the depression was gone. Wow. I mean, it, I'm, I'm saying it was a sunny day. I woke up, looked at the sun coming in through the window, and I was grateful. Wow. For the fir- probably for the first time in my life, because grateful is not a word in Scientology. No. Neither is depression. No, neither is yeah. depression. Yeah, yeah. But I actually thought, I, I'm grateful. Oh, my God, I'm alive. And that was it. From that point on, um, I knew I was out, but I still believed in Hubbard. But I didn't believe in the leader, David Miscavige, or the organization anymore. And then shortly after that, I started following Mike. And when I did that, it was like, oh, my God. This I can't believe all this stuff that I'm learning that I should have seen. Right. And so I was getting educated really fast. And then I started, this is kind of a funny story. You can cut it out or not, but. <laughs> but we like uh, funny stories. <laughs> well, you can cut that I said that out. <laughs> okay. no, we'll probably leave that story. in too. Yeah. This <laughs> Go is, ahead. This is, uh, this is. This is where I knew I was on the right path, because okay. even when I was out, I still question, is that why I'm getting better? Even right. when I was out, I was questioning, is it really that it's Scientology? Right. Anyway, uh, this made me understand that, it, that I had guardian angels and that there was something there helping me. Uh, I, was, I started going, what can I do to help Tony to help Mike because I felt Mike was helping me a lot and putting himself on the line. And I knew the fair game crap that they were doing to him. And uh, anyway, and I thought, well, I'm still under the radar. I'm going into celebrity center, actually doing a course. I have all the inside stuff. They're sending me all of the emails. So I started sending Mike um, stuff from an unknown source and an right. anonymous right. and Mike started posting it because right. it was very current. Cause I was, yeah, yeah. well, I was cautious, but not that careful. And I sent him something that had my email attached to it. Yeah. And at the time, this was uh 2012, I think the end of 12, um, 
Or, oh, I, I see. You, Mike didn't know it was being sent from you. I thought it, you were saying you were sending no, it anonymously. No, Mike didn't know who I was. Oh, Mike I got it. Okay, okay, got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay. But, but he believed he believed me because yeah. the, the stuff I was sending him was, yeah. you know, current. And, yeah, yeah. And I would give my comments about right. it. So, so you so screwed up and it. sent him your email. <laughs> well, it was embedded in the yes, post. I got it. So okay. what I found out at that time, they were putting out, Scientology was putting out fake emails for uh-huh. events that weren't actually happening. Oh, and then wow. they would, then they would track who they sent, who sent it to. It? This is, oh, wow. This is how devious they were. Right, R. And, and R. yes, no, I'm sorry, R. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is how devious they are. Yes. <laughs> but, wish we could talk so, in past tense about Scientology being devious, but not yet, Jeff. I wish not we yet. could, too. Yes. Yeah, well, I wish we could, too. Yeah. But anyway, so, um, so they got me. Right. And so I, I, get this, I, I get this call from my ethics officer, who is the guy who handled me. He's the lead ethics officer at, at the Advanced Org in Los Angeles. So this, this oh. is a person who reprimands. The, the, everybody who doesn't know what an ethics officer is, it's a Sea Org member, an employee of Scientology, who basically reprimands parishioners, hands out the, the punishment. Go ahead. So or you get a call from the me. Punisher, from Daddy. Yeah, Daddy calls yeah, you from Scientology. Yeah, and we'd had a pretty, we'd had a pretty good rapport uh-huh. uh, when I was in Scientology. Was um, it Julian and, Schwartz? And, yes, it was Julian Schwartz. It's so funny the how infamous. many. You know what's so funny about Julian Schwartz? Any person you talk to who was actually really a producing Scientologist in Scientology, every single one has as their Punisher. Julian Schwartz, as I did, as my mom did, as all my family did, as anybody who we've talked to, Mike, did. <laughs> Julian Schwartz was their ethics officer in Los well, Angeles. Julie, yeah. Julian was my guy. And of course, I don't know if you ever described Julian. He's like 6'2 or 6'3, probably 210 pounds, and he's not fat. Yeah. You know, he's just, he's, he's big. And a yeah, very tall, yeah. young, Aryan. cool. Go ahead. Mike, so is that I, how you would describe him? I have no idea. I don't think I've ever laid eyes on him. Oh, Julian wow. Schwartz? Yeah. I know, I know I know Louis and Gretchen, but I don't know him. Do you know Fred? I'm old school. You know Fred Schwartz, right? Fred, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, Fred. Fred and well, Gretchen. I, 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 right. I, I, I I knew Gretchen from the old old days, so you know that family I've known. But yeah. anyway, so he calls me, yeah, and leaves a message and said, "Jeff, I need you to come in right away." Doesn't say what it is, and I went, "Oh shit!" Excuse yeah. me. <laughs> and that's uh, okay. People are gonna drink. That's a good thing. <laughs> and so I went, "Okay, what does he want? What does he want?" I had no idea. Oh, so, so you didn't know I, that the email was embedded until later? No, I didn't know exactly what it was, but I figured, oops, they yeah. because I was sending Mike under the radar, you know, inside yeah. information. I was sending Tony info, inside information. Sure, sure. Uh, anyway, so I, I get there, and he said, it's, it'll be really quick. Yeah. That was the thing on the message. It, it'll be very fast. Yeah. So I go in there, and... 
this is um, the building I went into was not the small building that he usually was in. It was that big blue building, right? The one that's so I had to be buzzed in. Yeah, and then they took me down into the bowels. This is kind of Kafka esque, if you know Franz Kafka and his stories. They take me no. to the bowels of the building. It gets okay. darker. There's no windows. And yes. they put me in a little room. Yeah. Now, now, I still don't know what's going on. Yeah. And Julian finally comes in. He hands me a piece of paper and he says, did you send this to one of the squirrels? He called you a squirrel, Mike. He didn't Probably. call you a suppressive. He called you a squirrel. Huh. A squirrel website. So, <laughs> so anyway. Is and a, a squirrel, squirrel an SP? Is an SP a squirrel, Mike? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Because a squirrel is referred to as somebody who's doing Scientology outside of the Scientology organization. And or in an unauthorized, in unorthodox manner. Well, yeah. listen, you're not allowed to practice Scientology, everybody, unless Scientology is being paid. So right. anybody who decides to apply any Scientology to another outside of Scientology being paid, you are labeled a squirrel and you could be expelled for practicing your quote-unquote religion without paying Scientology money. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I look at it, and here, I don't know why this happened. Yeah. I blanked out. And this is where, this is where I believe that sometimes someone is watching over you. Right. I looked at it, and I didn't recognize it. Even though I'd probably, and I, I'd sent it two months earlier. It took them two months to track me down. Right. I'd sent it two months earlier, forgotten yeah. that I had sent it to Mike. Yeah. And I, and I said, okay, I probably did send it, but I don't remember it. <laughs> right. So, so I really had to think, oh, by the way, just an aside, really yeah. quick. Hubbard and his policy taught me how to lie, and from that point on, I got really good at it. Yeah, because I mean, if Scientologists are anything, they're an ama they're amazing liars. Is. Yeah. It's oh, they're true. incredible! They're incredible. Yeah. Well, I heard a lecture he did, and he recommended practice lying. He Jeff, that's that. all we're doing as Scientologists is lying. I mean, that's all we're doing through our Scientology <laughs> career. And I'm not making a well, joke. You are no, taught to tell an acceptable truth. Truth. You don't yes. tell people what Scientology really is. When people say, can you be a Christian and a Scientologist? You're taught to say yes when you know that's not true. Do Scientologists believe in God? Yes, you, they do. There's eight dynamics. You're taught to lie every single day of your life. Well, yes, but I got, but then when Hubbard told me to practice it, I got yeah. better. Awesome. Okay, <laughs> and, go ahead. Okay, so here's the case where it backfires on them. All right. Um, I went, oh my God, somebody hacked me. 
I didn't send that. And this is a time when hackers really, ex-Scientologists were hacking Scientologists. Right, right, right. So the timing was right. Right, it was plausible, yeah. So I said a bunch of things, uh, and I acted really upset. Sure. You know, and and so he said, well, do you mind if we bring one of our uh, security checkers in with an e-meter? And what am I going to say? You mean, I mean, you mean uh, to interrogate you on the Scientology to inter- lie detector? An interrogator with yeah. their electronic device, the e Okay, and you said what? Wow, what am I going to say? I didn't, I didn't, I, I was you had to not going to yes. fall You say no, you're said, admitting that you did it. Yeah, of course. No, so. I just said, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So at that point, I sat down and she did a lot of questions. Have you ever gone to a website of an enemy of Scientology? Have you ever said anything? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it was, you know, when it didn't, it was like 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. So, and at the time, I was chilled out completely. I was just like, I can can lie to the e-meter. That was my view. I'm not upset. There's nothing upsetting me. Right. And there wasn't at that point. And so she left another 10 minutes waiting. So he they didn't catch back. you on, the, on their e-meter? What's that? Did they catch you on their lie detector? No. Oh, okay, go ahead. And that's when I knew is bullshit. Right. Because you're taught, like we all are, that the meter does not lie in Scientology. Exactly, until you realize that it's all lies, and then right, it doesn't make exactly. any difference. <laughs> so, but anyway, so I, I wasn't done. Let me see if I can. Um, so he said, okay, I, it's like he was kind of saying, I believe you. Yes. It, one more thing, though. He said, I would like it if you would go onto your um, email page, uh-huh. log in, and I want to see any emails you've sent out. Oh, my God. And I'm going, oh, shit. Yeah. Again. So what do you do? Right. So what am I going to do? Say no? Right. So they had some computers for public, and yeah. I sat down at one, I logged in, and we went into it, and first we were going by emails and I was, um, I was scanning the emails to try to find the exact email that I sent to Mike. In yeah. the meantime, he wasn't watching. And there's an email to Tony Ortega. There's an email oh, no. to somebody yeah. else. And I'm going, boy, I better go fast. Anyway, yeah. he didn't see that. Oh my we God. found we found the email. So yeah. it was sent from my account. We went yeah. into my account. Mm-hmm. And here's where I believe in, uh, I started to believe in guardian angels. Yeah. Two days before uh, I had sent that email, my password had been changed. And this verified, and I didn't, and I honestly did not remember changing the password. So I said, yeah. someone hacked me. Right. And he said, well, you better fix that with AOL and change your password. And I said, damn straight, I'm going to. <laughs> and <laughs> anyway, 
the long and short of it, he saw that. Yeah. He saw my reaction, yeah. which was very genuine. Yeah, yeah. And he said, okay, well, I, we had to check you. Right. And he said, you're cool. So what happened after that? Two and a half, two and a half hours later, yeah. I get out of that basement, and he believed me, and I was clean. And I went, oh my God, something, some, somebody was watching out for me. That's all I can say. Right. One thing I wanted to interject here, because I'm not sure, that, like, we know this, but I don't think our listeners do. Yeah. Part of the reason or the main reason why you continue to cooperate with these people was because of your children. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. This is, we, we haven't even mentioned that. Like, it's sort of odd that you're going along with these people and not just telling them to go take a hike. And the reason was because your two children were in Scientology and you knew that they would disconnect from you if Julian Schwartz suddenly said, oh, your dad's a bad guy. Kaboom. Well, I, I officially really left in my mind, Scientology at the end of 2011, I didn't officially do anything public to show that I was out until 2017. Wow. wow. And right. the reason that and Mike's nailed it. Yeah. There were two reasons why I, I felt I had to be under the radar. Yeah. One was absolutely my family and all my friends. We're talking about, I'm friends with so many, um, artists scientology artists and work with them and you name them and i probably know them right. the celebrities and stuff i'd lose that i would lose um but for sure i'd lose my kids and they were at the time uh under age and i did not have custody of them right and so and my ex-wife is a hardcore scientologist so she's hardcore, and she's in the business. Right. She's a casting director. Right. And she's still a Scientologist? Hardcore, uh, to, yeah. to the bone. Yeah. So And so I had that to deal with, and physically I was recovering. It was a slow process. Three years of, of literally starving myself. Right. Um, so... Anyway, and your family, uh, and your family at this point, you know, like your ex-wife and all, all of your Scientology friends. I mean, were they concerned about you? They just assumed Scientology was taking care of your. Uh, no, well, they they were all concerned because I basically I did I did a kind of a special disconnection where I disconnected from everybody when I was depressed, right? And and I just disappeared from being a you know, pretty visible in Scientology, I was right. gone. Right, right. And, and, I, and nobody would tell the truth about right. what happened to me. Right, right. It wasn't Only like Julian, Julian Schwartz was telling everybody, he's depressed, we caused this depression, and uh, he's <laughs> suicidal, and we caused this in yeah, him. Yeah. And, yeah, so they're not going to say that. And you're, no, no, they're not going to. Yeah. So no, people just didn't know to some degree. They just... But I even if dropped. they did, they would be like Scientology's handling it. I mean, they, yeah, oh, yeah. exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. And, and they they thought they were, 
Right. When I got better, my caregivers, uh, who I think did a, actually did a, a really amazing job of, of trying to deal with somebody that seriously mentally disturbed, right. uh, they were delighted. And, uh, and then I started reconnecting. And then I discovered the first under-the-radar person when I got out. And that really bolstered me because I didn't have anybody to talk to who was a Scientologist who actually was in good standing but under the radar. And who was that? I, I can't say. Oh, no worries. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> because right. No worries. Person, go ahead. It's okay with no, me. No, I don't no. care. I just, I just assumed you, they no, were out it, and talking. Yeah. No, no, not, okay. not yet. Oh, not okay. Yet. All right. I think that's going to happen soon, but it, okay, it hasn't happened yet. Great, but uh, anyway, but my kids, the the big thing was my kids. Yes, of course. And, and and what happened is, as I started to get stronger, and I also did something I don't think, I don't know anybody who's done this. I wanted to prove to myself where the control mechanisms in the Scientology study were, where the technology of Scientology, they call it, where did Hubbard build control mechanisms? Uh And one of the biggest areas is his defining antisocial personalities as suppressives and that they're extremely dangerous. Right. So I actually was on the course that teaches you about that before Uh I had my breakdown. Right. I went in and finished it while I was under the radar. Oh, wow. Uh Uh-huh. Because I wanted to see what are they teaching currently, and is it what I think they're teaching? Sure. And and it it was, and I believe that one of the most heinous crimes Hubbard did was to give people the concept that there are suppressive people that you have to disconnect from. Well, and the main and the main the main characteristics of an SP is that they uh, are speaking out against Scientology abuses. It's not it's not said in that way, of course. It's that no. they abhor the light. They don't want you to do well, and they don't they don't uh, uh, support activities that we're doing that are good. They they secretly are happy when you fail. And these are all people who are telling the truth about Scientology always. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I did the course. I graduated. Uh, Yeah. I actually graduated. And that was part of keeping me under the radar because I could say to other Scientologists, oh, I'm I'm on this big course. Right. And then I finished that and then... I did a few other little courses to keep the facade going. Yeah. And then finally, I just kind of quietly put my focus on restoring my career uh, as a composer and a songwriter and music producer. And I, I still did uh, an event or two where I performed uh-huh. while I was under the radar to keep that facade. So... And so then what yeah. happened? What what happened that allowed you to walk away and be public? And then I want to know about your children and what happened well, there. Well, what, what happened is yeah. both kids got back, got really into Scientology. Their mom was working hard to get them to do 
more Scientology. Right. And I tried to say something once, yeah. and that was to my son, when he was actually on a course, on and a big old, course. And how old is your son and daughter at this point? At this point, my son's 26 and my daughter is 23. Okay. And, uh, but then they were younger, but she was, she was successfully uh, getting them to do more. And your, your that, wife, your wife. And at that point, now we're talking 2017. Yeah. And and I saw, I'm not going to change this, and I I can't stand by and not say something publicly. It's I'm, I feel secure enough. I feel strong enough, and I want to uh, publicly reconnect with my brother. I had privately reconnected with my brother, who I had disconnected from in 1984 because he left Scientology. Oh wow. So my brother and I had not talked really, uh, we didn't start talking until 2012. Wow. I mean, we had, and I mean, there's more to the story where I, I actually, one, oh, one of the things when I did my breakdown, yeah, going back to that time, what exacerbated my condition is I had seen my brother who we had done a reunion and, and received a San Jose Rock, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame award, and we all had to come into San Jose, including my brother. Yeah. So in order for him to even be able to be there, he had to uh, pretend that he was going to get back into Scientology. That's how much he wanted to see me. Oh, wow. And and he gave them. He spent money. Right. He he was talking with uh, the their top justice person, Mike. What's his name? Ellis. Mike Ellis. He was talking with him, and he was acting like he was going to come back in. Right. He only did it so he could do that event. And and the reason why we're not going fully into your story is because you are uh, making a documentary about your story. I just saw that it was a story that's a little different than anything else that anybody has done. And, and also the fact that I so completely gave myself to that organization for when you add it up, you know, it's, it's certainly over, over four decades. Right. And, and, and I felt like I can't stand by. I'm more of an activist Right. When I got into Scientology, they killed that part of me. Right. But that's what and you thought you were. Entirely. They right? put it to sleep. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That they didn't kill it. They just put it to sleep. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we have a, our band, uh, we wrote a song, because I'm also releasing an album with the band. And the band Great. Yeah, so we're just, we're just about done with it. And one of the songs that is called Time, Time to Wake the Monkey. And it's really about experiments that were done with monkeys where their brain would go to sleep and then they could, they could uh, put a little uh, stimulus there and the brain would wake up. Right. Interesting. So the, the when is that is coming a, out? When is your album coming out? So you guys well, are reunited and uh, yeah, is this we're part re, of the... the band's been reunited. We're, we're, it should be done. It should come out in about two or three months. Awesome. And where can people get it? Well, we're for sure, you know, you'll be able to get it on Spotify or iTunes. 
and I'm looking at a marketing program because we're we're retro contemporary. We cool. re, uh, our lead singer who came a little bit later sang with Credence Clearwater for 22 years. He was our lead singer. Right. Well, so it gives great. you gives you an idea of what kind of singing we yeah, have. That's amazing. We're, we're rock. And what about your documentary? I mean, because I'm sure people want to hear about your story of, of, of reconnecting. Well, the documentary were, as usual, the director quit. <laughs> Normal things. Yeah. And the producers had to take over. Got it. Um, we're, we're working on re-editing it um, and trying... And, the the real story is about what Scientology did to my brother and I, my family, my band. Yeah. And more than that, how we were able to overcome it. Which is amazing. I mean, because the story doesn't end with the destruction. No, it, it ends with the rebirth. Exactly. And that says it, a lot about all of you, right? I mean, like Mike said, these things are not dead in you. They were just put to sleep for a short time. Well, I'm hoping it inspires anyone who is who's in any cult, big or small, yeah. to, to go, you know, I'm 75 years old. I feel better than I did when I was uh, 40, when I was in Scientology. Right. And I feel like I've got a lot ahead to still do. And this story, I feel, it just has, I want to support the way, support what you, you are doing and what others are doing so we can see this thing exposed enough where it just is no longer effective and it is shrinking to a point of disappearing. Yes, and we want to support you and what you're doing. Well, thank you. Thank you. We're with you, Jeff. Well, thanks. Yes, yeah, of course. Well, I, I'm so excited that I got to talk to both of you. Just like I said, you, you're both instrumental and helping me carry on to keep going. So what ended up happening? You you tried to talk to your son and daughter. They weren't having it. Your you, ex-wife, you, Lisa London, is pushing Scientology heavily on your kids. So yeah, what happened? And I'm, what happened is in, 19, in 2017, I did an interview with my brother, and we did an interview with a, a host in a very on a very small cable channel in Aspen. And but it was so small that I knew it probably wouldn't reach anybody. Okay. So uh, I was still under the radar, and I had just done this this clearly anti Scientology interview. And so. At that point, though, I was also doing the band, and I told my son and my daughter, I am doing my band, and my brother, who is a declared suppressive person, is going to be part of it. At that point, the real issue was for my son. He was starting to get some of the auditing, the therapy in Scientology, and they they really grill you. They grilled my son, so he had to tell the truth and say, well, my dad is is going to work with his brother, and his brother is declared. <laughs> Could you imagine this being a sin in this so-called religion? Literally, my dad is talking to his brother 
my uncle. Like, this is considered a sin. He thinks he's confessing something that's so awful. Well, at that point, yeah. you know what they did. They said, well, we can't do anything for you. You can't get your therapy uh, until you sort it out. Right. So, or, now they, what, so now he has to be involved. Well, yeah, he had to be involved. And yeah. he, he, he texted me and said, Dad, they want you to come into Celebrity Center. And they want you to talk to the ethics officer. He had Celebrity Center, and he said, she is going to call you. And I said, fine, have her call me. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. So a week goes by, I get no phone calls, right? right? And I'm expecting to do it, and I'm prepped to, to talk to her, right? Yeah. And then a week later, he texts me, said, Dad, you were supposed to, you know, pick up the phone call when she called you. <laughs> and I said... Colin, she never called me. Right. She lied to him. Right. She said she called several times. Right. There's no way to fake that. If you call somebody's phone, it yeah. shows up on your phone. Right. So anyway, uh, I said, have her call me at uh, the beginning of the week. So she finally calls me, right? And we had a 13-minute conversation. And I who is this? It. Who are you talking to? This her name is Sarah. She's a lead ethics officer at Celebrity Center. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. She's the top Celebrity Center uh, she's probably ethics thir- person. She's probably fourteen years old. Go ahead. Yeah, she's something like she's no, no twenty eight, twenty five, yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she said, uh, "I need you to come in and um, to talk to me." And at this point, they still weren't certain about my allegiances because they didn't have all the information. Even though I had done an interview, it wasn't really public. Right. Uh, And I I said something that they don't know how to deal with. What did you say? I said, said, no. (laughs) They don't know how to deal with no. Right, right. (laughs) So, but I did say, I said, I will meet you anywhere you like but I will not come in to Celebrity Center. Right. And she said, no, I can't do that. Right. And so we went around for about five minutes. We just went around and around. And finally, she was getting really upset. And she said, and starting to yell. And she said, if you don't come in, I am going to declare you right now. So, a process that normally takes months to do, she's going to do it in the next hour or two if right. I don't come in. Right. So, I, I, I kind of pulled back because right. I, was, I was getting a little bit heated myself and I just yeah. calmed down and said, uh, okay, let me think about it. I will let you know. Uh, after Thursday. After Thursday at two? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Understand, I've been a staff member. Right. Uh, for those who don't know, Thursday at two is when the week ends for a staff in an organization and they start the new week, but they have to get their production as high as they can 
Before 2 o'clock. Before 2 o'clock. So I said, after Thursday. Right. And at that point, I wrote something up about the way I was treated, and I still was semi-under the radar. Right. And I used their own, Hubbard's own policies to make her look stupid. Right. And I sent that to everyone, including David Miscavige. Right. So after that, uh, it was pretty clear. uh, Shortly after that, I released our Indiegogo, you know, fund crowdfunding for the band. And the title of the Indiegogo was Rock Group Survives Scientology. And that was it. At that that point, I was out. And then what happened but, with your children? They disconnected. They, well, my son had already disconnected from me. Uh-huh. He'd already disconnected, even though that had not come out yet. Because right. he knew, because I made it clear, I'm no, I am not doing Scientology anymore. Mm-hmm. You can do what you want, but I'm not. Right. And he still didn't believe that he would have to disconnect from me. Right. Within, two, within two weeks of the conversation I had with them and everything else, he severed his tie. He didn't say, I'm disconnecting. He just stopped communicating. Right. So that my daughter was different. She took longer. Yeah. The next year, 2018, she's now wanting to do Scientology. And they told her she has to call me up and tell me never to call, text, email, Instagram, Facebook her ever again. She- and she told so and she and I said, is, is did somebody tell you to do this? Uh-huh. Did somebody give you what you need to tell me? And then she because I think there was somebody coaching her yeah. uh during the phone call while she was talking to me. And I she was gone. Wow. And that was it. So you haven't spoken to your children? I've texted them. I wish them happy Hanukkah, happy birthday, and no response. And this is, again, the work of Scientology. Destroying relationships for decades. And they will well, continue to do this. Well, um, yeah, yeah, this ahead. was the... Well, they gave me a choice, really. Because they always give you a choice. Disconnect from your brother again. And then you can keep your children and get back in Scientology, or you're going to lose all your friends, which I did, and your children. Is that a choice, though, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like uh, you can either. Choice. Yeah, it's a Sophie's choice, exactly. And, but this is uh, a church. This is a church who is running around charging people hundreds of thousands of dollars, destroying people's lives, destroying people's relationships, destroying families, calling itself a church. Well, my view of it is I call it an organization masquerading as a church. Correct. And that's, that's how I, 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 I have and trouble profiting, calling it. And profiting as a business. Yes. Well, I know. And I think that the reason that you and Mike have been at it so long and that people like me want to do their part to expose it is it's so rooted in, in, in both money and 
uh, the, the First Amendment that they've abused 100%, yes. that pulling out those roots is, is like having a, a mile-high tree and the roots just have spread so far. And, and we're making progress. Oh, hell yeah. Listen, no one would have ever thought that we would have left, and we did, and the many before us, right? And yeah. there's not many people running to Scientology who were not born into Scientology. And no. I still have hope that your family will be connected, your children will come back to you, and Mike's children will come back to him. And I, I mean, I, I never thought it would happen with certain people. It has happened with certain people. And I just think we're all doing our part. We all contribute to each other's parts, and we got to continue to support each other in this way. I yeah, uh, for me, I I just have the attitude. I was never going to leave Scientology, right? And if some someone who is such a strong strong believer yeah. can can come out of it, now I had to suffer some serious stuff to get out of it. Yes. I did get out of it though, and I'm better for it, and I'm really happy. I've been stable since I've been out of it, right. and I feel that they—it's like you know the uh, yellow submarine, mm-hmm. the cartoon. Mm-hmm. When they finally overcame the blue meanies, the color came back, and everyone. Yeah. And it, to me, I always think of that that Beatles cartoon because they did come back. Right. And people were released. So uh, exactly. I have, I feel that everything we're doing, there's going to be a time when we can rejoice and, and reconnect. Yes. Jeff, I'm so proud of you. And I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy that you've reconnected with your brother, your band, this documentary. When I hope you let us know when it's coming out. We're, oh, gonna- for sure. Thank you for all that you're doing. And I'm so happy that you're on your way to being you and you're finding joy and happiness in your life. And God bless you always. Well, back at you, both of you. Thank you. All right. Till next time. Yes. Well, I'll keep you, I'll keep you both posted. And uh, please do. Yeah, I'm not, we're just not ready with the, editing yet to really show it but i would no, love understand. your fe- I, of I'd course love your feedback. As, as soon as it believe me i love to give feedback so good you go ahead and send it to us and i'd be happy to give yeah. you pages of notes <laughs> perfect no i want it i'm not like the director <laughs> okay uh, well <laughs> thank you wanna... good. no i know okay. i understand thank you again jeff and continue so success much, and blessings and My thank pleasure. you all for listening and we'll talk to you next time Bye, Mikey. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Jeff. Thank you again. <laughs>